If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. We just started talking and then suddenly it's like Hannah's Cafe. That would be the perfect thing to create in virtual reality. I think this is a great place for us to connect and support each other. Women from all over the world can come and spend time in the Four Mothers Cafe. Most fiction authors create a world in their imagination, then draw their readers in. Gifted historical novelists bring the past to life in the worlds they create. But Helen Lindstrom Irwin may well be the first author to accomplish both of these goals simultaneously by creating a metaverse world based on her historical novel, and then to take that accomplishment one step further by hosting live events relating to present-day issues in that virtual space. Helen's most recent book, Sour Milk and Sheep's Wool, explores the world in which her great-grandmother lived in Sweden in the late 1800s. And Helen's research of the issues facing women in the late 19th century ultimately inspired her to design and host her virtual space, the Four Mothers Cafe, in which women meet in real time to discuss the issues of the 21st century. The Four Mothers Cafe just recently moved to the Engage VR platform. Helen, let's start this with a look at your creative journey. How'd you first realize that writing and specifically making history come to life through historic fiction was the path that you really wanted to take creatively? That is a great question. Let me just think. I think I started writing, or I know I started writing when I was a kid. I made a whole series of books about a little mouse. I called the House Mouse books. And it was a little mouse that lived in a little house, but it was actually a, when I, as an adult now, say house mouse, I think of a mouse inside of a house, but it had its own little house in the forest where it lived. And it had a moose for a teacher and lots of other animals in the series. And I wrote several books and I illustrated them myself. In Sweden, you start learning to read late. So since I wrote them, I must have been seven or eight. You don't really start learning to read until you're seven. So seven or eight, maybe, when I started. And then I've always been interested in history in general, just fascinated by how different people were at that time and what they were thinking and what they thought. And I always look at history and think, oh, whoa. Why did I think that? And so I think that's what got me really interested in too. I like to get into their head and imagine what they were thinking. And it's fascinating to me to do that, even if I don't agree with, well, I don't usually don't agree with them because they lived such a long time ago and things were different then. So I'm fascinated by that. How did you go on to create historic fiction and actually make that a career? Well, I think it's just generally interest in history and first loving reading historical fiction. I just loved that. And so my writing was always kind of in the background and I was always kind of fiddling with some story or other. And it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I realized, you know what, I should actually write an actual story about an actual time period. And and then I just started doing it. And 
like I said, I'm very fascinated by history. So I spend a lot of time researching it and looking at all the details. I read books from the time period and I read books from different viewpoints from each time period. And I'm fascinated by that. And that's really how I can write. It's by knowing what happened in the past. And then I get inspired by incidents and opinions from that time. And then I kind of just build upon that. And in my latest book, I had a very emotional reason for it because my book is partly about my great grandmother. And I, when I was a child and a, you know, a teenager, my parents were talking about her a lot and they never told the whole story. They said that she was a woman who had three children and they said she lived in a castle and there's this castle near where my parents lived and where I grew up, where we used to pick mushrooms and we used to walk past the castle. And my dad said, yeah, that's where grandma lived. And I was, you know, you can imagine as a child, I was really intrigued by this. And then I started doing some genealogy research and I found out that she never lived in the castle. She milked cows and in a farm that was owned by the people in the castle. And she was extremely poor and she she was an unwed mother and she had a lot more children than three. So that really got me interested in her story and where I came from. And I got interested in her. Well, if I can go back a little, I was very, when I did the research and I traveled around to see all the places where she had worked, people were very, I was surprised by their questions and their attitudes about her. I got a lot of laughs. Ha ha ha. Oh, she was one of those women. She had so many children. Ah, she was one of those women. And she had one man on each farm. Ah, yeah, yeah. We know those women. And I just felt like, really? Is that your first impression of a woman who lived a hundred years ago, all alone, milking cows for a living. And all you can think about is this like jovial, ha ha ha. Oh, wow. She must have been really into it. And I kept thinking she must have had a reason. And what happened? It's, you know, she had her first child in 1889. And that was very controversial at that time. It was not socially accepted in any way. And there must have been reasons for why that happened. And so then I started to look into it. And Sweden keeps all the records. You can, they tell you where a person lives, live when they're born. They tell you where somebody's born and where they move and when they move and where they move and when and where they had their children. So I could just follow her footsteps. And it was very enlightening. The book to which you refer is your second historical novel, Sour Milk and Sheep's Wool. I'm not yeah. going to ruin it by saying what that's a reference to, but it struck me that that was the perfect metaphor for Annette's life, something she depends on that fails her, like so many things do in her life. My heart went out to her reading this. You may be the very first author to create a metaverse world based on one of your books. How'd the Four Mothers Cafe come about for you? Well, I have to thank my husband for that because he started to get into virtual reality and the metaverse and all of these things and 
I, in the beginning, is like, really? Oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting, but I feel kind of motion sick in these places. And he showed me, I forgot what it's called now, but it's when you visit the moon base and you're standing there and it was amazing. You're on the moon and you're literally there inside this virtual world. And it was amazing. And then he showed me an underwater world where you're standing and there's fish swimming around and it was beautiful. But I was like, ah, I don't know. This is really, I don't really know. But then he got more and more involved and he created the Polis WebXR Awards. And Cross and Christie XR Design created the Polis Red Carpet Theater. And so then I started to get more of a, hmm, an interest. This is kind of interesting. And we just started talking. And then suddenly it's like, my goodness, Hannah's Cafe. I can create this. That would be the perfect thing to create in virtual reality. So both me and my husband, Ben, spoke to Austin Christie, or Austin is his actual name, but he goes by cost. Austin King and Christy Fennison. And we started discussing it, and that's how it started. And it was amazing. It was a really collaborative process. And I started by actually drawing a picture of how I imagine Hannah's Cafe to look. And then, you know, I sent them the pictures of my physical drawings, which were pencil and colored pencil and regular pencil drawings. And this is how I imagined it looked. And they started with that. And then we looked at photographs of Lund, the city where Hannah's Cafe is. And we built from there. And it started with a little box. And now it's this amazing historical place in a beautiful historical building Take me into Four Mothers Cafe in your imagination, would you? What are we going to experience? Well, like I mentioned before, Hannah started her cafe in the 1890s. But the cafe is set in 1918 because there was a suffrage march in Gothenburg where a lot of women went. There were thousands of women who went there to make their voice heard to get their right to vote. And there's a banner that is actually on the cover of my book that women carried. And it's a very famous photograph. And they're carrying that banner in their hands and there's women behind them. And it's a beautiful photograph. And so I created that banner myself and I made it into Lund's Suffrage Society. And in English, because it's the Four Mothers Cafe, it's, uh, you know, a cafe for all of us women today. So I wanted the suffrage movement to have more of a role in the cafe. So that banner is hanging on the wall and my book is on the little sofa table and there's an actual photograph on the cover of my book of the women holding the banner from the march in 1918. So I really like that. And all the tables where the women sat are there in the book. When they met, they pulled their tables together in the long row and they all sat together. So we can do that as well in the Four Mothers Cafe can move the tables. When you visit the Four Mothers Cafe, here is something for which you might like to look. In the Four Mothers Cafe, I have the banner that they used in 1918 at the Suffrage March in Gothenburg. And in the cafe, I have made it more so it's more accessible for us in today's world. So it's in English and it's Lund's 
suffrage society and Lund is the city where the Foremothers Cafe is. And there were several banners at that march. There were women came from all over the country. There were thousands of women there. So, and my women were there as well for my book. So they came all the way from Lund to participate. And, and it was a very cold day. It was in June, but all the photos you see, they're wearing thick, warm jackets. But it was June in Gothenburg in 1918. We also discussed two strong characters in Helen's book, Sour Milk and Sheep's Wall. People are going to wonder who we're talking about when you say Hannah, because we hadn't really mentioned her yet. She is in sharp contrast to Annette in your book. Yeah, exactly. She is. And that's what I also was very interested in is my great-grandmother had such a hard life. And she was working all the time. And she didn't have a lot of energy because of all her work and her poverty to do much. And I think that's often the case. So Hannah had, she grew up and had means and she had time to look at society around her and say, look, there's a lot of things in my life that I don't like. There's not equity for women. Women are not treated equally. And at that time, Hannah was very interested in the temperance movement because there was a woman called Emily Ratu who made a connection that there's a connection between alcohol abuse and not really only alcohol abuse, but a lot of drinking really for women to have control in their lives simply because men drink. And if men drink too much, women don't have control in their marriages. And at that time, most women were married. Most women didn't work and they were dependent on their men's salary. And one reason was that If he drank too much, a lot of the household money would go to alcohol. And another reason was that they couldn't control their pregnancies because the man was always so drunk. And if she felt that she didn't want to have a baby right now, there was birth control was very controversial. So the only way to not have a baby was not to have sex. And if the man was too drunk, it was harder for her to say, look, can we just wait? You know, I just had a baby. I just stopped breastfeeding. I want to wait a little bit. She couldn't because he was too drunk and he wasn't listening and she got pregnant again. And so it's it's very interesting to me that that's what started that movement. And Hannah was very impressed. She had a lot of ideas and she was thinking a lot. She belonged to a reading group and she felt that the woman who led the group she was in was too conservative. So then she met her friend Magnhild, who spoke out at one of these reading groups, and they both left. And then they joined the temperance movement, and they met in the same house where Annette lived for a time. My great-grandmother also lived for a time, and they met in secret there. And Hannah was not happy about the place where they met because they had to be very quiet. There were other women there. There were pregnant mothers, and they had to stay off to the side in a room. They were actually in a storeroom because it was a sewing establishment, a sewing studio, and they were in a storeroom. And so she decided to, she had been thinking actually, I should say for a long time already that she wanted to start her own cafe, her own bakery. And so her dad, again, it was in the late 1880s and early 1890s. Her dad had to help her with that. 
he owned a building and he helped her set it up. So she started her own cafe and bakery. She hired a baker and then that's where the women met instead of in this sewing establishment where they had to do it in secret. And it was still somewhat secret. They met in the evenings after she closed the cafe. And so that's where they met and they started discussing all these issues with women and what women went through. And one of the characters in my book is a midwife, and she met a lot of women who might not have had a very easy life, and she brought some women with her, and there were women who did not have happy marriages, and so they were, it became kind of like a support group for them, where they could meet and share and support each other. You must have felt very much like Hannah did at the opening of her cafe on the grand opening of your virtual space, the Foremothers Cafe. Yeah, I did. I really did. This is what I want to do too with it. I want it to be a place for women today where we can meet and where we can support each other for things that we deal with today. There's a lot of issues still that we women face. And I think this is a great place for us to connect and support each other and we don't have a geographical limit women from all over the world can come and spend time in the foremothers cafe and we're standing on our foremothers shoulders and that's really why it's called the foremothers cafe i never realized that more than when i read your book because i had taken so much for granted i think the thing that brought it home to me was the scene where hannah's sitting just with a couple of friends in a cafe talking about ideas and a man gets furious and right. screams at them and leaves. It's like he calls them unnatural. So that was my right. for me. I wondered what That's shocked true. you as you were researching this. Any facts or anything that blew you away? Well, I was surprised that women, especially the activists, that they were not for birth control. That kind of threw me. I had just assumed that, of course, you know, they're suffragettes or suffragists. And of course, they will be for birth control. And they're even working with the temperance movement. One of the reasons they are doing that is, like I said, so they can control their pregnancies. But contraceptives, it was very, very controversial. And they had reasons for why they didn't want women to use birth control. And if you put yourself in their shoes, you can see their thought process. And one of the reasons was that they were really nervous that a man would just have sex with them and then he would leave, which would leave the woman vulnerable first because she was no longer a virgin, which legally she technically had to be to get married. And also, if she then got pregnant, that was socially unacceptable. And even though... They had used birth control. There was still a risk it would fail, and it felt too risky. And you can see that part a little bit. It's a little similar to what some conservatives are saying here about abstinence and things like that. And it was similar to that, but they had more of a reason back then for that. And according to the law, you had to be, the woman had to be a virgin until until 1921. And what's interesting, there's no law for the men. And what it really meant was that a man could could claim that, look, you weren't a virgin, so now I have an out. It didn't mean that a man and a woman who were in love 
who wanted to get married and he knew that, yeah, you know, I had a boyfriend before, before, but, you know, it wasn't like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry that we can't get married. That's not how it was. But technically, according to the law, a woman should be a virgin. So if you think about that, you can kind of see why women felt strongly about birth control and why it was a lot more controversial than we think. But I was still thrown by that. I just assumed, of course, you want to protect yourself from pregnancy. Why wouldn't you? But I would have assumed exactly the same thing. During our conversation, Helen had a question for me as well. I don't know if this is something we could have in the interview or on the podcast or not, but you said you could really relate to Hannah. So I'm just curious about that. And if you wanted to talk a little about that. I am Hannah. I could feel as though I were sitting inside of the lecture hall waiting for her idol, basically, to speak, because you evoked that so well. And Thank you. when I said that, it's because I have gone to many events pre-pandemic as a reporter. And if Hannah had been a reporter, that would have been exactly what she would have been doing. That was like, I really relate. To what degree are you, Hannah? If you think I am Hannah, I think so. And I'm so glad you asked that. It's somebody else asked me the same thing. And I, yeah, I think I am also Hannah. I feel the same passion for inequity that she did. And it's like that interest in in reading about it, there's a scene where she said, I feel good now. I've read more about it. Now I feel better. I'm able to talk about this more because I've read about it. And I, she felt secure because she read about it. I can feel like that. It's like, I know my stuff. I've studied my history. I know what I, so I feel that. And I feel that the passion for doing something about it in my own small way and speaking out. So yeah, I think, think I am Hannah, but thank you. And I, It makes me so happy to hear that you feel that you are Hannah, too. The Four Mothers Cafe had its grand reopening in October in Engage VR. There are some exciting events coming up. I'm going to have a release party for my new book called The Lure of Water and Wood, which is also a historical novel set in Sweden and set earlier in the 17th and the 18th centuries. And very, very interesting history. So I will be having a release party for that in the Four Mothers Cafe. And also on November 30th, which was my mother's birthday, I'm going to have an event where we bring our own photographs of our foremothers, which I did last year as well. It was very moving. And I invited several friends to come and talk about their foremothers in their families. And they brought their own photographs that I then displayed on the walls. And Everyone went around and spoke about their family history, and it was very meaningful. And I, it felt so nice to do that. It felt so fitting for the Four Mothers Cafe. But I thought, you know, I'm going to do that every year. And my mom's birthday, November 30th, is a really good day for that. So I love that. People are going to want to see your new book, and they're going to want to read Sour Milk and Sheep's Wool and also James's Journey. How do they find out more about your books? Well, they can visit my website, HelenIrwin.com. HelenIrwin.com. Now you've got me tempted talking about your new book. What can you tell me about The Lore of Water and Wood? It's very interesting, yeah, because it's the first time I'm writing a historical novel with a fantasy twist, which I have never done before. And the reason is that there are two mythological creatures in Sweden. One is a water entity and the other one is a forest entity. The water entity is a man or a male character and the forest entity is a female character. 
And in the 17th century, especially, and even in the early 18th century, it was illegal to spend time with these mythological creatures. And there are court cases where people supposedly spent time with them and they were taken to the Supreme Court and tried in court. And it's amazing, very interesting history and where the fantasy twist comes in that the main characters are these two mythological creatures. And that's been amazing to write. I should probably clarify that my book is written from the perspective of my two mythological creatures. So it's written in their voices, which was really, really interesting to do. That sounds a lot of fun to write. It was amazing. It was, it has been fantastic. A completely different experience from my other novels. So gave me more freedom to be more creative, which was wonderful. That's it. I want to read it. Doesn't that male character make an appearance, if only because he's in Annette's imagination, in Sour yes. Milk and Sheep's Wolf? Yes, he does. He does. I will he see does. nothing else. I'm not going to ruin it. Just have okay. one place yeah, you think he, he sees. I won't say the name, but okay. Yes. No exactly. problem. Yeah, that's him. So that's the, well, I guess I could say he's the main character. He has a little more of a bigger role in the book than the female a mythological character, but yeah, no, it's very interesting. And it's been fascinating to research this because like I was saying before, we get surprised at what people were thinking because even though they seem like us, they lived a long time ago and their surroundings and their environment very different. And they had very different input from their peers and the further back you go, the more fascinating it is. And it is quite fascinating what they were believing about these characters. I mean, there are laws and laws about them. And they don't exist. They're myth. Wow. It's amazing. That really is. Any thought of creating any kind of a virtual world or metaverse world based on the lure of water and wood? Well, I'm hoping to. I'm hoping to have a portal and maybe make some of the areas, because the cafe is in a little town in Lund, but there's grass and hills, like in the outskirts of the virtual world, which I'm thinking is Annette's world, where she lived in the countryside and milked her cows. But further back, I could add some more stuff that would be very fitting. So I'll either do that, or I'll create a portal to something else and a new, completely new world. We'll see. But yeah, I do have thoughts about it. What if other authors are listening right now and thinking, whoa, I would love to know how to create a virtual world relating to what I'm writing. How did she do that? What resources do you really like? Well, I have to say that it's all thanks to Cos and Christie who built my world. You know, they're amazing and they, they are the ones who physically built it. I created it. I drew it and I spoke about how I wanted it and all of that, but they built it for me. And They did a fantastic job, so I can't recommend them enough. Shout out to their wonderful creative talents and to some amazing books on your website, HelenIrwin.com. How can people best support you? Please write a review if you read my book and or my books, I should say, if you read my books, please write a review. It makes a very, very big difference for authors. I really appreciate it. And on Goodreads or Amazon would be amazing. And you can write a review on Amazon even if you didn't buy it there. But I'd be very grateful. So 
Final question here is my signature question for my podcast. If people can only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from the work you are doing, both with your books and your virtual worlds? Well, what I really want people to take away from my books is to understand that people were very different. And I always think of it like this. If you travel to a different country where everyone speaks English at first, people seem the same as you. You can communicate, you're having a meal together, everything's great. And you think, oh, this is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I feel at home here. Everyone is just like me. And then you might make a joke and you get blank stares. And then you try to explain it and you get more blank stares because they live in a different culture. They have a different set of circumstances and they don't have the same sense of humor as you. And I think it's similar with history. At first, it seems like people are just like us, but then you realize that they're the discussions they have, the things they learn, the things they talk about, it's quite different. And we should keep in mind that in the future, people will look at us and say, oh my goodness, what were they thinking? Because <laughs> And every single person that's ever lived lives in modern times. You know, the next question is said about creativity and innovation. Well, creativity, I'd say, Go with your instinct, claim your art. Don't be afraid to let that side out of you because it's there and it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be the way you think it should be. Think of it as something, it's in there. If you listen to yourself and you let that come out, it will flow out and you will just go with your creativity. I think that's very important. Write what you want to write about. Don't write what you think other people want to read. Write what speaks to you and write about that. And innovation is, we have amazing tools. Use them. They're fantastic. Don't be afraid of technology. It's fantastic. It helps you and you can do so much with it. Helen, thank you for your time today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. You and I have been listening to author Helen Lundstrom Irwin, creator of the VR community space, The Four Mothers Cafe. Helen's work with The Four Mothers Cafe has garnered honors, including an XR Women Nomination Award in the Trailblazing category and a 2023 Augie Award nomination for her Four Mothers Cafe community discussion series. You'll find instructions on visiting the Four Mothers Cafe on Helen's website, once again, HelenIrwin.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out her two historical novels, Sour Milk and Sheep's Wool, and her first novel, James's Journey, and pre-order her new one, The Lore of Water and Wood. Here are two dates to mark on your calendar. November 22nd will be the release of The Lore of Water and Wood, and November 30th at the Four Mothers Cafe, as Helen mentioned, is going to be a special tribute to the four mothers who have shaped our lives. Find out more at HelenIrwin.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. Be sure you subscribe. It's free. 
by clicking the link on our website. Our music is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.